It is 11.27 a.m. on April 16th, 2014. So one other thought that just comes to me as I'm continuing to meditate upon this idea of getting rid of, of telling the numbers. In other words, not telling people the actual way that God's providence was used to communicate to me the numbers and stuff but rather letting people see the result. Because here's what happens. When people see the result, they can't argue with that. The story starts out, I'm being slain. Uh, all odds are stacked against me. I'm defenseless. And I'm staring down the barrel of some serious, serious consequences. And then they see in the end that this miraculous thing happens. And God had told me that it would happen that way. And it ends up happening that way. But if I go into too much detail about the divine providence and the 666 and the 555s and the 777s, people could argue with that. That could be something that they could begin to debate and it actually could cause them to not trust that what God did, He actually did. See, if I just tell them the result and they see the Red Sea part, they can't argue with that. But if I start telling them that God burned on a bunch of caterpillars and built a dam and whatever, they make a, wait a second, that doesn't sound like something God would do. And I'm wondering if that is possible, that, that the, the telling of the providence, because let's face it, until a person sees that, they wouldn't believe it anyhow. I barely believed it. The goal is not to get people to believe God will speak to them through numbers. The goal is to get people to believe that God is capable of speaking to them in a way that He knows they'll hear it. And that God is capable of working in their circumstances and leading and guiding them and protecting them and directing them. Not that He'll do it in a certain way. Now, I think maybe if somebody were to come to me one time and say, uh, Mike, I think the Lord is speaking to me and it's this really weird thing. And I can say, well, okay, well, all right, so you think that's weird and you're wondering if that's the Lord. Well, let me just tell you a little story. And maybe that's where it's appropriate for me to share on a one-on-one -on -one basis. You know, or, or with people who know me better or something. I don't know. That's just another quick thought I had. It's 12.03 on April 16th, 2014. And I really believe that the Lord has spoken to me today on the mountain. Um, in regards to um, being too transparent on some things. And being uh, using greater discretion in that. And, and then primarily about um, not telling the part of my story publicly in the video about the 666 and the 777s. And leaving that part out so that it does not cause people to stumble. And that that divine providence is something that's primarily a private thing between the Father and I. It's not necessarily meant to be disclosed out in the open. The result is what we should do. But I don't have to give away every personal detail of how my Father interacts with me. And that in the end I feel God is opening my eyes to that that is a stumbling block for people because people want to model what they see and if they don't see the same way uh, God speaking to them as they do to me then it might cause them to stumble and I already have evidence that this is the case. So I'm asking the Father, I've just stood on the trail and said, Lord I don't want this to be a Michael Criswell idea. God please confirm this. So now I'm going to wait for the Lord to confirm that in fact this is what he's telling me to do is to to take the numbers out of the story and let let the numbers uh, or let the story uh, and the deliverance stand on its own. I have this idea to do a message for young people and the the concept of the message is imagine Picture in your mind whoever your favorite hero is. It could be somebody that's a music, an artist, entertainment, sports. Who is your hero that you think about all the time? Now, I want you to imagine for a second that your hero 
knew who you were. Right now you know who they are, but you don't really know them. You know about them. But imagine that somehow or another, you know, you got connected to them and they invited you to be a part of their life. And that meant not only just getting to have a visit with them, you know, like those people who win Celebrity for a Day contest, but you were going to get to spend quality time and get an inside look at this person's life. And you were going to get to help them, whether it be with their practicing for music or while they're doing their, their test runs on a motocross track or um, whatever it is, you would get to spend time with them. And they took an interest in you. And they began to really like you. They really liked you for who you were. Not for who you tried to be, but for who you were. And they decided that they'd like to have you hang around with them a lot. And as a result, you'd get to benefit from the honor of being around this person who so many other people honor. And you get to ride with them maybe in the airplane. And you get to hang out with them when they go around cruising on Friday nights. You get to go to their performances and go visit with them and be there with them at their VIP table at certain banquets. And you got to benefit from this relationship in a way that just really made you feel good. And this person always showed you respect and actually would introduce, hey, this is my friend John or my friend Susie and they would always honor you. Imagine how you would feel if that happened. How honored you would feel. How uh, much much joy you would have in those moments. Happiness. And so the idea is, is to, to get them to think about that and how happy that would make them feel and then connect that to the fact that that is exactly what is available to them. Now imagine for a moment it gets better. How could it get better, you say? Imagine if the person who created that person that you idolize wanted to have you be a part of his life and wanted to invite you to participate in all the events he was a part of in orchestrating. And he wanted to hold you in high esteem and he wanted to honor you and he wanted to love you and he wanted to be with you and wanted you to be with him. And imagine if he began to invite you into his life and began to work in your life and through your circumstances in answer to your prayers in such a way that this relationship became so real to you that slowly everything else around you began to dissipate and lower in its level of importance in your life because you now found a level of happiness and joy you could never expect. My friend, this is exactly what's available to you in a relationship with God. You may not see it right now. The idea would be to let them know, okay, now you know how you feel if a celebrity were to treat you that way. You don't know how you would feel if God began to treat you this way because maybe you don't know him yet. Maybe already right now you're starting to feel some resistance and saying, Mike, I think I'd do better off with somebody I could see. I can't see God. I can't hear him. I can't taste him. I can't hug him. You know, I can't experience him. And that's, that's, that's not true. It's a different relationship with God than it is with people. But again, back to the point of the, 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 the celebrity, you would never have that kind of an opportunity with them if they didn't pursue you. And even if they pursued you and you never pursued them back, you'd still never have that opportunity. The same thing happens in our relationship with God. You have got to, he's pursuing you. If, if right now you're even feeling this in your heart, he's pursuing you. You have to then pursue him back. And you literally get to eat off of the crumbs off of your master's table. As you begin to invest in in relationship with him and spend time with him, he will speak to you. He will order circumstances in your life in a way 
Anyhow, it's, it's this idea of helping people understand that everything their heart's desires would be for and spending time with their favorite athlete is even more available with God, the creator who made their favorite athlete and who cares about them um, at the same level he does their athlete, that there is no favorites in God's eyes. He favors those who seek him and that you can have this amazing relationship and joy and peace that will carry you through all of life's circumstances. And when people let you down, which they ultimately will, you can run to your safety of this relationship you have with God who who loves you. I think this is a message that I want to do um, and actually talk about how I felt with Ricky Carmichael. I want to tell you, you know, mine was a guy named Ricky Carmichael. I used to have dreams that he would call me up and invite me to his house and we'd be just hanging out at his house and his wife Ursula, you know, thought it was cool for me to be there and it was just really weird. These these thoughts that I had and then show how I met him and tell the story of when we were at the Jacksonville Supercross. There was over a thousand people waiting to get autographs. He was walking through with his entourage. He saw me, stops dead in his tracks, looks right at me through, you know, 20, 30 people deep and says, hey man, what's going on? He stops. I walked over to him and it was just that feeling of being honored in front of all these people who looked at this guy like an idol. And I'm thinking, man, who am I? And yet Ricky Carmichael remembered me because of the two encounters that I'd had with him and how, how special that made me feel. Now, how would that make you feel if God made you feel that way? If God honored you in the presence of thousands of people, if God was with you and you, you felt honored and you felt valuable and your security came from your relationship with him, not with other people or what you have or what you've done. That's the message. I think this would be a good message for young people. I got to write this out and tighten it up. Make this story about I want to tell you about I want to tell you about my experience meeting and hanging out with two of the best extreme athletes that have ever lived. Two of the best athletes period that have ever lived. And tell the story about Kelly Slater and how I I went to high school with Kelly Slater and the that how we met we got into a fight because I was making a, a joke about uh, this girl named Krista Guidish and she was a friend of Kelly's and Kelly came up and pushed me after class and put his hand around my neck and pushed me up against the wall in front of everybody <clears throat> believe it or not his big brother Sean Slater jumped in and saved me from probably getting my butt kicked but shortly after that Kelly and I became friends and we would start to arm wrestle at you know, PE class, and I was always surprised that I could actually beat Kelly Slater at arm wrestling. And then one time he invited me over to his house, and I remember going to his house, and he had all these surfboards from, you know, Matt Keckley back in the day was the shaper of his surfboards, and boxes of Sun Deck clothing. That was an old clothing company, one of their first sponsors, and his favorite ice cream was chocolate chip ice cream, and he showed me the little you know, little mini distillery that his dad used to make to, to make his own alcohol at the time. And I, he was just kind of letting me inside of his world to see. And I felt so honored. I felt valuable. I'd never really had anybody important in my life take an interest in me. And I was really, really hungry to be valuable. I was really hungry to feel like I counted for something. And by Kelly having this interaction with me, I started to feel important. Well, I ended up leaving Cocoa Beach High School shortly after that. And never really got a chance to have much more of a relationship with Kelly and I remember years later kind of fantasizing in my own dreams at night that Kelly would contact me we'd get back in touch with each other and you know we could play tennis or something there was this real desire inside of me to want to be around him and that's because again I was trying to find my my value and my happiness in him so then 
Then there came Ricky Carmichael, who's the, one of the greatest motorsports athletes that's ever lived. 150 wins, 14 championships. And tell the story about that. And then, then there were other athletes who I got to spend time with. Jeremy McGrath, Supercross champion. Ryan Villapoto, the current four-time champion. Um, you know, the, the Olympic wrestler. Uh, uh, and then I could just show, you know, Zig Ziglar, the world's greatest motivational speaker. And I got to spend time with some of these people. And Chad Reed, multi-time Supercross and outdoor champion. I actually got to sit down with him and interview him one time for one of my video programs. And just tell people about what that experience was like. And I was always so disappointed that nothing ever worked out for me to be able to have more of a relationship with him. I tried, been getting my value and how I feel about myself out of my association with another fallible human being who, like me, is made of dust and puts their pants on one leg at a time. So I think that might be a really cool video for me to make to help kids know. It's 4.51 on the 18th of April. I just want to capture this moment. I've been struggling really for the last couple of hours. I have just not felt good all day today. I've had a headache. I feel weak. And I, it's causing me to look at women. I, there's no other way to say it. I makes me feel lonely. Every woman that walks in, I feel like looking at her. Ooh, she's pretty. And I say, I keep saying to myself, no, that's not Laura. That's not Laura. And I just, the, the idea of the spirit being willing and the flesh being weak is so true. And I just keep trying to look away and it just seems like they're everywhere. I was sitting at this coffee shop today trying to work on my videos and this one cute girl that works there, she keeps working on the coffee and unfortunately they wear these tight pants. I've thought about saying something to the owners about it and these tight little spandexy type pants and I look up and she's leaning over right in front of me. She's like bent over right in front of the coffee machine. I'm like and just constantly doing it and I'm just, it's just crazy and I feel frustrated I'm very frustrated right now and my head is just pounding and I tell you I just am trying to capture this because this happens every single time that I get sick feeling and I, I get I get like almost a little bit of a grouchy feeling and it just wears on me and I'm just thankful that I'm recognizing that it's because I'm tired and I have a headache I've taken three ibuprofen and hasn't done hardly anything I just feel like junk ugh so I try to leave these situations when I feel like this and just get out and get away, just leave. So I'm going home. Other people are headed out for Friday night. I'm just going to go sit at home. It's been no less than five minutes since I recorded that message about feeling like junk and feeling like I'm under attack. I just saw a 511 and an 1122. That's persevere and have faith in God right there. The Lord speaking to me trying to encourage me just reminds me again that he realizes the battle it's interesting also that I, I read so much this morning in Charles Stanley's book in step with God about faith and trusting God for his promises and I was filled to faith for Laura and then all day long I feel like I'm attacked and then right now Laura is right over probably like within eyesight distance from me at low mill tonight and she's been there the last two weeks and I just I feel no desire to go obviously I feel a desire to see her but not under that circumstance Michael commentary so right here you've heard me mention again oh I hope to see Laura I'd like to see Laura but not under those circumstances those circumstances refer to something I did not capture 
in a previous recording. And the recording where you hear me say that I had seen Laura at Low Mill, I become very anxious on the way home and I'm saying, that's it. I'm going to contact her and say, do you want to have coffee with me or not? So we can either move on or not. Are you interested or not? And it was because that night I had seen her with a beer in her chair. It was this really pretty colored blue beer bottle. And immediately my heart completely sank because I knew the wife of noble character that I was waiting for was not going to be a beer drinker. To me, a woman drinking beer is incredibly unattractive. Now, I'm not looking down on people who choose that. I'm just saying that would not have been a qualifying factor for the future wife, the desire of my heart. After all, the Bible says, give beer to those who are perishing. So that does not reconcile with this wife of noble character, humble spirit, kind, God-fearing woman that I have the image of a woman I'm waiting for. So this was a huge blow to my faith for Laura. I basically tried to put my head in the sand like an ostrich and just said, I'm not going to look with my eyes at the circumstances. I have believed so long by faith. And what I found is this is yet another thing that God was doing to kind of loosen up my grips on Laura in spite of the fact that God has used her so brilliantly for so long to keep me focused and to keep me on the path until he can get me all the way through to Persis. It's incredible. You hear me in this recording just say, oh man, I'm starting to look at more and more women. I'm finding myself tempted. And then I have to say to myself out loud, nope, that's not Laura. Nope, that's not Laura. Nope, that's not Laura. You see, if I hadn't had a Laura, I would have long behind. I would have long ago gotten myself hooked up with devil's best or my best. There's no doubt about it. Again, I set all of this up in the beginning of this series Perhaps you don't understand how strong my desire was. It was exceptionally strong. And that's why Father, in his amazing mercy to me, gave me something to stay focused on. But here again, he's starting to loosen up my grip. He's starting to let me see some things about Laura. Remember the dreams of the bloody eyes. And remember, I'm always pursuing her in the dream, but she's not interested. And she's still clinging to her dead um, husband. She's a widow, obviously. So these are just some other facts I wanted to help share with you as we go forward, because some people stumble over this that, you know, God would never give you a promise for something and not give you. Well, that's not true. God promised Moses and the Israelites the promised land. But as we know, Moses didn't get to go into the promised land, you know? And so things change. Uh, Sometimes we have to just trust that God's ways are so far beyond our ways that we can't understand it. We have to just continue to walk by faith. But believe me, six years later, I see the wisdom in it. I hear the wisdom in it in these recordings And I remember just how strong my desire was and how I needed something like that to hold on to until God could get Persis ready for me. End of commentary. And, um, you know, it just, it's just, that's kind of one of those weird things where I just have to wait. I could take matters in my own hands, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to just keep trusting God. Just as I was pulling around the corner, my parents were headed out to Low Mill of all things. That's so funny. I'm making a recording about Laura and my mom seeing her at Low Mill several times. And there, actually, I meet them at the corner. They're on their way to Low Mill. I pulled into the parking lot, into the driveway, and it's 5.11 right now as I just turned the car, pulled in the car, turned it, turned it off, 5.11. We consider blessed those who persevere, for you have heard of Job's perseverance and what the Lord finally brought about. This is God just telling me it makes me just... It makes me very happy 
because I asked the Father to refresh my spirit on the way home, and he's been showing me these numbers, and it's just so touching for me when he knows I'm having a hard time right now, and, and uh, he does this for me. I'm just going to go in and just chill out. I'm just going to go disconnect because I'm just having a, such a hard time today physically and just feel like my mind's been under attack a lot and um, just feeling tired, feeling overwhelmed by uh, the work from the videos. I don't feel like they came out so good and it just seems like it's taken so long for me to do the videos and I can't get ahead of them because... I'm trying to do him so good and I really need help and my body's aching all over. I'm trying to make sure I depend upon his strength and not mine, but and I know that he'll get me through it. I think I'm under pretty good attack too from the enemy. I think he's really trying to discourage me and hit me and I know this will pass. I'm just going to continue to cling to my father and uh, today's Good Friday. My, my Lord endured six hours of the most brutal treatment known to man today. So I'm going to put my eyes on him just as it says in Hebrews 12 too. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's 9.28 on Easter morning, April 20th, 2014. I'm just entering the trail here at Cecil Ashburn, and I hadn't walked five minutes. I've already been thinking about it. It's Easter today. I've decided to stay home from church and spend some extra time with the Lord and memorizing His Word and allow the room for all the, the extra visitors the, and the creasters that come just on Christmas and Easter to go to church today. <clears throat> Every day is Easter to me. I mean, when you get to a place where you're walking with the Lord, I'm not the only one that recognizes this. Many people understand this idea. There's not one day that's more special than the other. But there is something special I feel like God just opened my eyes to about Easter, I was just thanking God for it, sending Jesus Christ to the cross. And then I, I thanked Jesus for staying on the cross, for enduring it. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, chapter 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And I feel like God just opened my eyes to another level of understanding of what it means when he says, who for the joy before him. I think my immediate thoughts of that have always been the joy of him being resurrected and being glorified. You know, being made the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the first thought that I've primarily stuck with. The idea that he endured and now he's honored. But I feel like God showed me something this morning in my heart right now that's even uh, more interesting than that. I don't think that it's more interesting, but it's it's certainly something very special, and that is that the other part of his joy, and a great deal of his joy that he was enduring for, was us. Reconciling us to himself, and immediately the thought of a bridegroom being excited and filled with joy about receiving his bride. And imagine, I think that's probably the only earthly example we can think of, the anticipation and the joy of, you know, seeing your bride come down the aisle. I mean, there is just such a... That's one of the most joyful moments of life. It has to be for a, for a uh, bridegroom. And so I think about how what Jesus did on the cross, he endured that... For his bride, he is reconciling and preparing a bride for himself. And I think, wow, how awesome is that? That, that the majority of his joy was for us. 
I don't think I ever have really fully thought about this. Again, it's so easy to just think about, well, I mean, if you were made the king of the universe, maybe you'd want to enjoy and endure and have joy too. But that's not the that's not what Jesus' heart well, I mean, certainly that's a part of it. There's no doubt about it. But I think that the idea of him selflessly desiring a bride for himself, us, that he was willing to go through that for us, is absolutely incredible. Just incredible. This is my uh, second message on Easter morning. It's 9.33, Easter morning, 2014. And I'm uh, headed down the mountain here at my trail. And I just wanted to capture a couple of thoughts that are spinning around in my head. I just did a message about the idea that uh, Hebrews 12, 2, the joy set before him. I feel like God is showing me more and more that that joy is us. It's, the, it's Jesus seeing himself being prepared for his bride. And uh, God preparing a bride for him through the work that he did on the cross. And I just think that's such a fantastic just such a, a warm-hearted um, realization to know that Jesus is sitting there dying on the cross, not just so that he can be exalted as the king of the universe, but he's enduring for us to reconcile us to himself. I think of that actually as I'm enduring waiting for Laura. You know, I'm a, I'm a bridegroom waiting for my bride, and I'm enduring my own crosses and my own, you know, the the waiting and enduring for the joy set before me. What is that joy? It's the anticipation of a day in the future, according to God's time and plan, where she will be presented to me by God and by her husband, by her by her father, as my wife. And I will know that I endured a long time waiting for her with God's help. And that brings so much joy. The joy before me, There's obviously there's not joy in waiting. There's joy through waiting. There's joy that you look through the waiting. So that's a neat thought I wanted to capture. And then I also just wanted to capture a couple thoughts about God just continuing to open my eyes to issues of like this whole communicating with God thing. I had made a message um, about a week and a half ago about how I thought that the Lord was, actually it was about a week ago, about how I thought the Lord was maybe telling me to not focus so much on talking about the numbers in my story, particularly up front, because it causes people, potentially new people, to stumble. They a new believer sees that and they begin to stumble. Even as I'm saying this, I'm realizing the idea of, you know, for the mature, we have a message of wisdom. So Paul's talking about, and even Jesus said, don't, don't cast your pearl before swine. So if I were to take some of my very best experiences with God and throw them out before people, it's easy for people to turn around and trample them, particularly if they don't have a, a working knowledge of God or a growing knowledge of Him. So I felt like the Lord was telling me to maybe back off of telling about the numbers and the story thing so much, and that it was causing people to stumble. And I asked Him to come to confirm that. And then, of course, I go to the Starbucks and I see these three teenagers and I have this desire to want to share with them my story in the gospel because I hear them talking about drinking and I'm overwhelmed by, I've got to tell them. I've got to figure out some way to get up the courage to get my story cards in their hands. So I go to the bathroom, pray, and I have this idea that I'll ask them for their opinion as a teenager on how this story of my childhood, I didn't even say my, I just basically said, look, I did a, a message I did a video, uh, a documentary that is about a, a very difficult life set of circumstances, and it has helped encourage people. In fact, there's been people that have been suicidal that have landed at the story, 
and they've stopped from killing themselves. And I said, I know as teenagers, you guys must know quite a few people who have been through a lot and who would like to probably end their life. And I'm asking if you'd be willing to take a watch at this and tell me if, if you feel it's relevant. And they agreed to do it. And of course, I've never heard back from any of them. This was a week ago, and I said, please, you know, send me an email and let me know and, and all that. And they, they never did, and, and I know they're teenagers, but I, I've prayed and I've trusted that I did my part. And for all I know, I may never know. I may get to heaven, and one of them may come up and say, do you remember meeting me in Starbucks? I'm here because you shared the gospel with me through your card. I mean, I have no idea what will happen. But I've noticed even in reading Charles Stanley's book more and more, there are, there are several times where he talks about how God made something clear to him, but he does not say how. He sometimes refers to God just saying to him, trust me. And I think, oh man, that's exactly what the Lord says to me. He said this to me several times, um, primarily about me leaving the children behind. And I'm saying, God, how could you expect for me to just leave? This doesn't make sense to me. And just leave them behind and not fight. And God just says, trust me. That's all I heard. Just plain as day I heard that in my spirit. And now I look back, you know, almost three years later going, yup, God has done good. The kids have not been through no suffering, but they things are going really well, all things considered. And anyhow, so that situation happens. And then I've been thinking about just how ugly pride is. God is, seems to be opening my eyes more and more to ways the enemy uses to make us prideful. Even uh, recalling some of the times that I myself have said, yeah, I think I've known for since I was a little kid that maybe I was called for something unusual. And then I remember thinking about what Matthew Eldridge told me a long time ago that he had a dream about me that God was going to do something so so big that I couldn't handle seeing it yet. And I think how the enemy can use those things to create pride. You start thinking there's something special about you and there's nothing special about you. God chooses you. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. And I'm, I'm, my eyes are just being opened more and more to this, to how we all want to be significant. What we don't realize is if we're just obeying God, we are significant. If we are in Jesus Christ, we are significant, regardless of what external circumstances and measurements seem to say, you know, but I definitely am paying more attention to this area of pride, and I'm realizing more and more as God has had me wait and wait and wait and wait, it's three years now, next month, that I've been waiting at my parents' house, I've been living at their house in one month for three years, I never thought, I thought I'd be there for six months max, and I wanted to get out of this so many times. I've wanted to just get out and, and say, I can't take this anymore. i got to return to a normal life. And I have made so many recordings about this journey. As my eyes were being opened, I have just laid down as many things as I can. I know I wasn't right about you know everything I said, but God was helping me to just learn and, and uh, opening my eyes. And as I'm continuing to look back from where I'm at right now, and I think of the joy and the peace, and the contentment that I have, and the trust and faith that I have in the Lord, and how He has changed my heart and my character so much. I am so thankful that God has made me wait as long as He has. I'm so thankful. I find myself praising God when I say, God, you are so much wiser than I am, and that you knew much better. You held me back because I wasn't ready. You have allowed me to be placed in this position of waiting. And in the process of waiting, God has been working on my heart. And I've been changing 
The way I know Him has changed. My understanding of Him has changed. My desire for Him has changed. My, just my feeling towards other people. My feeling towards church. My understandings of the Holy Spirit. My understandings of obedience and faith and trust. So many things have changed for the better. I mean, God is literally continually changing me into a man of um, greater character, uh, stronger faith, and just making me into a better man. I feel like I'm, I'm becoming a better man because of God. And again, even using Laura as an example, if Laura is God's very best for me, then you might imagine that God has needed to take time to shape my heart and to change my, my disposition in some things, and to give me a stronger character, and to etch out some things that were in me that would have done damage, that would not have been good, or would have been selfish, whatever. You know, and I think the same thing with the kids. Some might look at this and not understanding God's ways. We have a tendency, as Charles Stanley says, the problem with most Christians is they don't have enough faith to trust God, and they look at everything that happens in their life through the eyes of human understanding and reasoning. We, we, we always have a tendency to say, that doesn't make sense. And if it doesn't make sense to us, then we immediately say, it must not be of God. Well, walking around a building seven times, and then seven times on the seventh day, blowing trumpets and shouting, didn't make any sense at all to a trained army commander. That's not, that's not the way you, you win a war. That's not a very good, that sounds like ridiculous. That sounds like fantasy chasing. Can you imagine so I'm learning more and more, having waited this out by God's amazing grace, that God's ways are so much different than our ways, and yet they are, they are easy to understand if you'll obey. If you obey God, you begin, I feel like I know Him so much more. I understand His ways. I look back and I think, man, if God would have launched me even a year ago, I was certainly stronger a year ago than I was a year previous to that or even six months, but I still wasn't ready. I still had some things. I feel like even just in the last couple of weeks, God is continuing to open my eyes to some, I think, some pretty foundational lessons. These aren't just little fine-tuning things. They may be some, but my point is that we're obviously always going to be growing. But what I see the Lord has done, I'm so thankful because God it's like father knows best it's not like he does father knows best get away from me Mr. B big old bumblebee and I am thinking about with my children you know I, I've met, that's one of my main points I wanted to make is that without my kids being in my life, people immediately want to conclude, you know, how horrible this is and how I'm clearly not in the right place with them yet and so forth and so on. And, you know, my mom even saying yesterday, this really just, oh, just really, really just difficult comment. It wasn't difficult for me to hear, but it's just ugly comment for her to suggest that she woke up thinking about the children. And she says, you know, Michael, that scripture that talks about anyone that causes little kids to stumble, um, it's better for him if he had a stone hung around his neck and thrown to the depths of the sea. She goes, I, I just, you know, I just wonder if you could be doing that to your kids. I mean, it was just so disappointing to hear my mom be in this place still of spiritual blindness where she is still not able to understand God's ways and yet 
She's never had enough faith to trust God. She's one of those who looks at things with human reasoning. She lives in the, quote, real world, according to her. And that is the exact problem that Charles Stanley talks about. And so she's seeing me, who's not living in the, quote, real world. I'm living by God's ways the best I know how. And I'm thinking about my kids, and I'm going, oh, my goodness. It's, it's kind of like Chris said to me yesterday. He didn't even know the comment that my mom said, but he said... I have nothing to worry about with your kids. He goes, you are a great father. He said, you are a fantastic father. He could tell that about me. And I just thought, how interesting is that? That he would say that the day that my mom made this really ugly comment to me. Again, she's not trying to hurt me. She's, she's just trying to process everything through her own understanding, her own fears, and really her lack of faith in God. And... I do realize that there are people who are clearly uh, probably mentally ill or chemically imbalanced who somehow or another figure out how to squeeze God into the mix like a David Koresh and just literally blame God or cling to him for everything. Oh, God will. And, and God's not remotely in it. He's not remotely in it. There's a lot of churches that talk about God who God's not in and hasn't been in, I'm sure, for a long time, if ever. Same thing with ministries. I understand that. But... Michael Commentary. The timing of this recording is quite remarkable to me, where I've mentioned about false believers and people that can seem sincere in their devotion to Christ and yet be either suffering mental illness or terrible deception and be in possession of a counterfeit. The timing is so remarkable for two reasons. Number one, I mentioned David Koresh, which I'll explain more why that's remarkable in just a minute, but Number two, it is because just two days ago, during my prayer time in the field with Father, one of the things that came up in my prayer time was my lament, a real sense of sorrow, even a sense of shame for a few moments about the fact that I'm aware that there have been people who have been led further into either their mental illness or into their false faith in Christ, a counterfeit that they have of their walk with Jesus Christ as a result of my teachings. What I mean by that is I'm aware of a few people in particular where I know that they are in possession of a counterfeit faith. I could give you one example would be this lady, Lacey M. Pearson, who I told you had during the 2018 year of my rest, she tried to draw away disciples after herself and very quickly, she had the foundation of what a cult looks like, literally. So much so that one family even got the FBI involved. She was using many of my teachings to further her own cause. And this grieved me when I began to think about this. That even though I'm standing in the light, preaching the truth, and have fruit in my life that proves that what I have believed of God is true, and that God is really with me, this individual was right there Yes, and amening with me, but yet leading people with the truth into darkness. You talk about something very perplexing to understand. Even more recently, there's been an individual who I know is very, very much led astray by foul spirits. Remembering that Satan masquerades as an angel of light, he can also disguise darkness by making it look light. And I'm aware of this person who has been trapped in the delusions of their own mind for a couple of years now, perhaps. 
And Satan has continued to get this person farther and farther committed to this deception that looks like light. And I was listening to a recent recording of mine by Trusting God in the Wilderness, and I said, my God, these very recordings that you had me record six years ago are actually causing this person and giving this person justification to continue to stay in their delusion. And I saw it, and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. I realized that this person had come very close to finally repenting of this nonsense they had been believing, believing that God was really speaking to them and had a special purpose and call for their life, and God was going to do this. And again, if you listen to my recordings, if you were that person and you're in position of a counterfeit, and you're hearing me talk about how everybody will turn from you, and I have to decide, am I going to believe my circumstances, or am I going to believe what I know God has spoken to me? And I give all these examples of how I could not be hearing from God, but that I know I am hearing from God because God has given me a sign. And, you know, everybody else is saying, what if I'm wrong? And I'm saying, what if I'm right? And no matter what, I have to keep going. And yes, this is a very, very important part of faith, a faith that will not give up. If you ever watch any of the old movies of Abraham or Joseph or David, and you'll see these moments where their faith is tested so far and everybody standing around them is saying, no, this is foolish. And the, the Bible uh, patriarch is saying, no, I must believe and trust God. And so there is a very healthy, very credible aspect of faith walking with God where everybody is going to turn from you and where you're going to look like the only one on the planet that is not sane, at least in your family. And you're going to face tremendous opposition and you have to keep going. But the same thing is true in these cults. The same thing is true when a person has a mental illness, and the same thing is true when somebody is in possession of a counterfeit. This is, again, why it is so important to understand counterfeiting, because a counterfeit $100 bill looks and feels and perhaps even smells and sounds to the ear exactly like what a real $100 bill looks, feels, and sounds like, and it has all the same you know, quality of printing and the same numbers and the same picture and the same this and the same that. But if you look closely, there's always something that contradicts the original. There's always something in there that you can see in the temperament of a counterfeit that completely contradicts the spirit of Jesus Christ. And that is what you have to look for when you're looking for a counterfeit. You have to look at what is it that is about this person or about this religion or about this whatever that has, in particular, I'm speaking of Christianity. So let me focus on Christianity. What is it about this minister or this person or this prophet that contradicts the spirit of Jesus Christ? It contradicts the word in a big way. And if you look hard enough and long enough with God's help, you will find it. For example, you could look at a Jesse Duplantis. You could look at a Kenneth Copeland, you could look at a Creflo Dollar, a Joyce Meyer. Joyce Meyer is a good example where you could hear lots and lots of great truth. But as soon as you find out she's living in a $10 million home, that is a complete contradiction. And I can say, aha, there it is. The false has exposed itself. Satan has given away his hand to a discerning eye who loves the truth. You cannot, as a minister of God, take money from people and live in a $10 million home and call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ who was homeless. You cannot do it. 
You cannot flaunt the prosperity wealth of your so-called counterfeit God in the face of the flock of poor all around the world, the poor sheep, and say that because you have been so faithful, God has blessed you with a $10 million house. If God sent me a check from some person who's been following my ministry for years and they sent me a million dollar check as an example, the little bitty old $70,000 tiny house that I built with my own hands would not change one lick from being my house. There would be no such thing. What I would do is, God willing, I would buy the property that I'm sitting on. That would be something I would do. But you would not see me go build some big, gigantic, fancy house or move into a nice neighborhood and building swimming pools and all that stuff. But the point is, you could not see me living in a $10 million house. If you ever see me living in something like that, where my lifestyle begins to contradict in a huge way the core teachings of Jesus Christ, and I start to put all this emphasis on money, you can know that I have been led astray from my pure and sincere devotion to Jesus Christ. Now, let me kind of add a story to this and bring this back. Three days ago, Tyler and I watched a series on Netflix called Waco. I don't watch TV, and I watch documentaries only that are regarding things like faith or world religions or every once in a while. I want you to know I watch very, very little anything. I have a series of about maybe 15 Bible movies, and I'll watch those over and over again. Tyler and I love Jesus of Nazareth, so if we have to take a break, we watch these kind of things. We're just not interested in television, particularly me. I just almost can't do it. Um, I have sat down and forced myself to watch a movie you know, with them from time to time, but it's just very difficult for me unless it's a true story or something that I can benefit from. I'm just not interested in it. And so we watched Waco and I wanted to use it as a teaching experience for Tyler. And I said, Tyler, now I want you to watch this story. And as we started getting through it, you see David is very devout in his faith to Jesus Christ. He's very devout about the Bible being the truth, the word of God. Okay. I said, Tyler, is that familiar? I said, you see that in your father too, right? Yeah. So I said, I want you to see how similar David Koresh is to your father. I want you to see this. David Koresh loves the word of God. Michael Criswell loves the word of God. David Koresh thinks the word of God is the only truth by which men can be saved and is, is the person of Jesus Christ. So your father thinks the word of God is the only true word of God. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. I said, notice that David has very strong faith and he's very courageous. Notice that David has had to, they didn't mention it, but David left a branch of the Seventh-day Adventist church. He left a cult and created his own cult. And I said, nonetheless, he was willing to go the road less traveled. He was willing to be courageous. He was willing to take a stand. Your dad has been willing to leave his church to take a stand, to be courageous, to be alone. Your dad has gathered people to his teachings that also found uh, disheartening experiences in the church and knew that they were missing out on Jesus Christ. I've drawn people uh, to, hey, listen, I found the truth in God. David Koresh has done the exact same thing. Hey, listen, I'm anointed. I found the truth of God. I said, are you seeing the similarities? Okay. I kind of separated from a church. David separated from a church. I drew people who wanted to hear the truth and who were broken. I mean, look at my ministry. My ministry, I spend my time helping God's chosen broken children to know him and find him. David Koresh clearly had an emphasis on helping broken people. Broken people are drawn 
to these kind of things. He mentions it several times that he, he goes after those broken people. Guess what? So did Jesus Christ. So in that way, David Koresh is like Jesus, and I'm like David Koresh, and I'm like Jesus. So also, suffering, David Koresh knew that he was going to have to suffer in order to accomplish his mission and to walk into faith. So, so far, we have everything identical. Okay, we have people that are following after us. We believe in the Son of God, the only one true way to salvation, the Word of God. Uh, David Koresh memorized the entire Bible, I'm told. I've only memorized small pieces of it here and there. We both are very fervent, very passionate about our beliefs in Jesus Christ being the only way, the truth, and the life. We also both believe very much that this life is temporal and it's not about gaining for yourself a bunch of pleasures or material wealth here. He taught about giving up the material for the eternal and suffering and being willing to suffer down here now so that you could live forever in joy and peace and happiness and great reward in eternity. This is exactly the same thing I teach. So, so far we have zero differences between David Koresh and Michael Criswell, one of the worst cult leaders in the United States history, where, you know, almost a hundred people died, not as a result of his direct hands, but without a doubt, his unwillingness to cooperate with the government and to submit himself to the governing authorities. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But you see, there's so many similarities between somebody like a David Koresh and I so far. Just like right now, there's so many similarities between people that are following my channel, like a Lacey M. Pearson, who was on her way to starting a cult, or another individual I have in mind right now, and several other people I can think of that I know are false believers that either have mental illness or they have a counterfeit faith or they're being completely deceived by Satan into that counterfeit faith. And right now, they may sound an awful lot like to their family as I did to my family six years ago. They may find themselves in exact same situations, being ostracized, isolated from the, you know, the, the normal, quote, church group and, and, you know, excommunicated by family members, thought of as having a mental illness. And they may hear my recordings like I know one individual is, and this is actually feeding this person to keep going. They have no idea they're a counterfeit. They, they are listening to my recordings, which are true, but it is helping them to stay in the lie. Can you imagine a more perplexing thing? Can you imagine a more disappointing thing? I'm out there lamenting to the Father about this, and I said, God, this is horrible. And then the Holy Spirit reminded me very quickly, this exact same thing happened to Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, many men have jumped directly from his words into becoming a cult leader. David Koresh, perfect example. David Koresh was led by Jesus' teachings into becoming a great, great deceiver, a helpmate of Satan, and he was absolutely convinced. The words of God were feeding him into believing that he was on the right path of truth. Now, so here's what I said. I said, Tyler, what, what is the difference between David Koresh and your dad? So far, everything between David Koresh and I is the same. What are the differences that you see between David Koresh and I? And he said, the first thing he saw was, he says, Dad, everything you've said God would do has come true. And I said, okay, perfect. I said, so Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, it speaks of false prophets. And the Bible says in several places, even in Jeremiah, it says, you know, that if a false prophet speaks a delusion of their mind, and it doesn't come true, do not listen to them. Don't be afraid of them. They're a false prophet. And there are several passages, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Deuteronomy, where God rebukes these false prophets for speaking so confidently, thus saith the Lord, but what they say doesn't come true. So this is one of the obvious ways 
that what they say will not come true. Now, there are times when a false prophet who will speak, God will allow what they say to come true, Deuteronomy 13, in order to test the hearers of that false prophet to see whether or not they will truly obey the word of God or if they'll be led astray by this false prophecy. And of course, we see in 2 Thessalonians, in these end times, God raises up, obviously, a, a tremendous delusion so that people who have not truly loved the truth will be led astray by the false prophecies, false prophets, false miracles, false signs and wonders. So God will allow people to be tested and they'll be led astray, those who do not love the truth. So I said, that's great. You see that what God has said to me is coming true, right? So even Jesus said, believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If not, believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. When you look at my story, I have dozens and dozens and dozens of digitally collected evidences that God has spoken to me in advance and that what he spoke to me in advance came true. Jesus said in John 14, 29, I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. And this is one of the ways that God validates a servant. This indeed is one of the things that would be different between David Koresh and I. Now, David may have had answered, quote, prayers. I mean, we know that even in the Jim Jones cult, there were answered prayers. Who was answering those prayers? Without a doubt, Satan, with God's permission, was allowing these people to be led into deception. So you cannot go just by experience alone. I said, Tyler, what else? What else do we see that's different between David Koresh and your father? There's an awful lot of similarities. I mean, could I be a cult leader? People have accused me of it. Even the woman who gave you birth accused me in front of the judge of being some sort of a psychotic religious cult leader. So what is the difference between me and a, and a David Koresh? I said, okay, let's look at number one. The movie opens up and it shows his fascination with rock and roll music. He always wanted to be a rock and roll star. I said, Tyler, do you hear me listening to rock and roll music? No, dad. I said, is rock and roll music more likely to be pleasing to the ears of Satan or to pleasing to the ears of God? He said, Satan. I said, absolutely. I said, so here is something in his character, in his life that completely contradicts the spirit of Jesus Christ. So here's our first clue. You have to look. What is it that is in this thing you're testing or this person that is not going to be found in the original? Number one, we see he's got this love for rock and roll, okay? Number two, I said, this man has drawn people to himself and then he comes up with this extra biblical revelation, a revelation that's outside of the word of God that says he is the lamb of God incarnate, that he has been chosen, that his seed is supposed to populate the 24 elders seated around the throne of God in the book of Revelation. I said, so now we have a man who's claiming something that's extra biblical and we see him taking the wives of men that have come to be a part of his cult and he's having sex with them and getting them pregnant and allowing them to remain, quote, married to their husbands, but he services them, if you will, and gets them pregnant and they have children with him. Okay, is this by any chance a contradiction of what you understand to be the truth and the ways of God? Absolutely. I said, Tyler, so here is a major, major contradiction. We don't even need to go any further than this one. This is the one, this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. This is how you can know you have a 100% counterfeit. So here this guy was loving to broken people, passionately devoted to preaching the word of Jesus Christ, believed in salvation through Christ, memorized the word of God, puts to shame many of us today, including myself, on his ability to memorize the word of God. 
invites strangers to his home, helps provide for them. I don't know where their money was coming from except for the sale and buy and trade of guns, but helps provide for them, giving them meals, protection. I mean, this looks very godly, like an Acts 2 commune type living style. He's doing all these things. And now he simply asks, I want to be able to have sex with your wives. God has shown me that I'm the Lamb of God. and I'm to populate the elders' chairs around the throne. So here you have, if you had any sense about you, is where you run for the hills. But because he had done such a powerful force on them, and because he had manipulated their minds and brainwashed them so much to believe he was the chosen one, well, how can you possibly reject the chosen one? This is always the case with these cults. They always elevate themselves exactly as this Lacey M. Pearson lady was doing, and I have no doubt she'll try to do it again. And it's, it becomes, I'm the leader. You follow me. I am the chosen one. Let me just be very clear. Michael Criswell is not the chosen one. God has just given me a loud mouth to go and tell the whole world, as many would have ears to hear and are interested, of what he's done in my life. And for me to tell how I found him directly and how other people can go to him directly, not come to me. I'm not starting some kind of a compound or a commune. I could easily have done it. I've had people literally ask me if they could fly from other countries to come and and have coffee with me. I've had people willing to fly from other countries to come and visit. How easy would it be for me to set up a commune and say, hey, you should come live with me and we'll all just have this one big happy Christian family and before you know it, I can become the esteemed leader and you do what I say when I say it and I could manipulate. I have no doubt. I've come across many subscribers and people that have emailed me that would be highly manipulatable if I had an evil spirit in me. If I was drawn by the power of Satan, I could easily manipulate people and and drag them into a lifestyle and and get people to worship me like they worship David Koresh and and Jim Jones and all these other cult leaders. I can see how it's easy to do because broken people are so hungry for something to work in their life and for somebody to love them and care about them, which is why all these cult leaders love bomb you. They call it love bombing. I went into an international churches of Christ one time years ago. I had never felt so loved and honored in my entire life. You would think I was the president of the United States. It's called love bombing, and it's a psychological technique to get you so enveloped and so hooked like a drug, you can't possibly leave feeling loved like that because you surely are not going to get that when you go home to your own house. It's a powerful, powerful cult technique. And so back to this example, what else do we need to see from David Koresh? Nothing. But there's one other major example I showed Tyler. I said, okay, Romans 13 and in uh, Peter, it tells us that we are to submit to the governing authorities. I said, Tyler, do you see David Koresh submitting to the governing authorities? He said, no, dad, I don't. I said, were they telling him not to read the Bible anymore? No. Were they telling him he couldn't pray and couldn't gather anymore? No. They had a concern that he was stockpiling weapons. And they were, yes, their motives were impure. They were trying to make themselves look good and prove themselves continually useful and get funding and all that kind of stuff. But if I were David Koresh in that instance, and I really had, for some reason, created a compound with a bunch of people living in it, and the government came, I would have immediately submitted to them, trusting God for my deliverance, not in myself. And so we see another part of his temperament that completely contradicts the true spirit of Jesus Christ. And this is why it takes discernment. And this is what you have to look for. What is in this that is not in the original? Jesus Christ, I said, Tyler, did he resist the Roman authorities when they came to hang him on the cross? No, dad. No, dad. He didn't. When his followers tried to resist 
Did he egg them on and encourage them and say, well done, my good and faithful servant? He said, no, put down your knife. Stop. He looked at uh, Peter and said, Satan, get behind me. You do not have the things of God in mind, but the things of man. You're a stumbling block to me. When all Peter was doing was trying to save him from this pagan, evil Roman government. No doubt more evil than the government that took, you know, tried to take David Koresh. And, and look how patient. I mean, I have to say 50 some odd days. I mean, I know our government gets a tremendous amount of bad flack, but 50 something days and the guy's resisting over and over and over again. This is not what a true Christian would do. A true Christian would give in. Now, a true Christian would never stop reading the Bible and never stop praying and never stop gathering unless they put you in prison like Paul, like Peter. I mean, like Paul, and you just couldn't. But you would, you would obey the governing authorities to come out and separate. Let them see all that's what's going on. Remember, Romans 13 says the government, you know, holds a sword not for no reason. That, you know, you don't have to be in terror of the government if you're doing what's right. That he's come to punish those who are doing wrong. So if David Koresh could have showed the government he was not doing wrong by obeying and submitting, this thing would have all blown over and he could have been there still with his happy little cult. These are the things that we have to see, that these are complete contradictions. So... Again, you may have faith. You may believe Jesus is the son of God. You may have been turned from by your whole family. You may feel completely isolated and alone. Now, listen, what I'm saying is the exception. It's not the rule. I want to be clear. God help me in this. I'm not saying every one of you have a mental illness or have a counterfeit. Not at all. I'm saying a few of you that listen to these recordings absolutely do. And you're using my recordings to justify staying. And there are things in your life and things in your heart that completely contradict the spirit of Jesus Christ that you're unwilling to see because you want what you want. You're being driven by your flesh and Satan the deceiver is deceiving you to do so. And it will end in destruction. It will end in hurt and pain and major suffering. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You do not get credit for thinking you have faith in God if it's false. David Koresh gets no credit. He completely contradicted. He's a counterfeit. You don't get any credit. When you go to the store and the lady says, I'm sorry, that's a counterfeit $20 bill. She doesn't say, I can only give you uh, $3 for that. You don't get any credit. She doesn't say, I can give you a dollar. She doesn't say, I can give you a dime for that. She says, it's not worth the paper it was printed on. And that's what God will say if you're in possession of a counterfeit. And I am out there lamenting, God, there's people that are using my recordings to stay in their own delusion. They do not have you, Father. They're in possession of a counterfeit. And they think that because mine is real, theirs is real. And it's not. Where is your faith and where is your life and where are your habits and where is your heart contradicting what you've heard in my recordings? Just because you think God has spoken to you, guess who thought God was speaking to him? David Koresh. He had a whole lot more, quote, activity going on in his life than I'm sure you do yours. He had a whole lot more reason to believe that, you know, God was really doing something significant. In fact, when all the affliction and the suffering came, it only further validated his faith. And see, this, that's another thing that David Koresh and I have in exact identical proportion. That when David was attacked, he believed, see, this is the faith of God. I have to hold on to this. This is proof I'm on the right path. And as it has been for me. You see, my brothers and sisters, there's such a need to go deep in this and to understand that you can have so many aspects and so many fundamentals and so many principles of, quote, Christianity in your life and in your heart, and you can still be in possession of a complete counterfeit. 
And I'm out there and I'm lamenting to the Lord about this. And God just blessed me so much. He reminded me as it is for the master, so it will be for you. No servant is greater than his master. If they obeyed your teaching, if they obeyed his teaching, they'll obey yours. If they persecuted him, they'll persecute you. If they hate you, remember they hated him first. And I started to think about all the cult leaders that Jesus Christ has, quote, created. They didn't need help from any man. A man went to the words of Christ. He didn't love the truth. It was tainted by his own selfish, carnal, deep-seated, evil motives within him. And he took the words of Christ and perverted it and made himself and his religion and his cult and his church into something he wanted that becomes a monstrosity in the kingdom of Satan, not in the kingdom of God. Very, very important for us to know, do we in fact possess the truth or the counterfeit? This is why I have mentioned several times that you can actually have a mental illness and think that you have faith in God. You could actually be delusional and not know it. One of the ways I know that I'm not delusional is that a delusional person is not able to ever consider that they might be delusional. A truly delusional person has no capacity to even consider the fact that they could be totally wrong. And if they do, it would perhaps just be a a flying bird over the head in a moment. It could never be something they would meditate on, have fear about, go to God about. I've never lost my capacity to think, oh God, I could be delusional on this. Lord, you have to help me. And so I had to persevere through all these dark times of, God, am I actually hearing from you? And, and watch this. I didn't have to wait for six years to find out that God was actually speaking to me. I didn't have to keep waiting and keep waiting. There were many evidences along the way that God showed me I was indeed hearing from him and that this was legitimately an unusual, unorthodox dealing that God was having with me. But you will recognize a tree by its fruit and wisdom is proved right by her children. So important to consider these things May God bless all of us to discern in our own hearts if we're in possession of a false satanic counterfeit or do we really have the truth, the authentic faith in Jesus Christ. End of commentary. My point is, God has so changed my heart. If, if all you look at is the circumstances, again, I've been smitten by God. But if you, if you look at what God has done in my heart, he has made me into a much better father. I am so looking forward to being a full-time father to my kids if God, God's will is there. I'm so thankful for it. I'm just so thankful. Even though I still have virtually no money, and not virtually, I don't. <laughs> and no change in my circumstances. God just keeps telling me, trust Him. He just keeps telling me, persevere. I keep seeing the 511s and the 555s and the 919s. Incidentally, when I pulled in the parking lot at the, at the thing here, it's 919. It's getting easier and easier to trust God after the hard parts, I believe, are behind me. Where that Isaiah, I think it's, uh, He will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. And I am seeing that as totally the case. I have this amazing peace. I'm so thankful for this journey as I think about the hundreds and hundreds of times I've come out here to seek my father in these very woods. This is where my faith in God was built. This is where I ran when I was in trouble. I've had so much alone time with the father. That's why I know him the way I know him today is it requires a lot of time and a willingness to be alone. 
just read it again this morning in In Step with God, Charles Stanley talking about how people that are so busy are never going to develop a relationship with God because it takes time, it takes solitude. And I have so enjoyed the solitude. These woods, this place has been so unbelievably special to me. I think about all the times I've cried out to the Father and all the times I've asked Him, Lord, when? Lord, help me, strengthen me, refresh my spirit. All the times I've prayed for my children out here. All the times I've prayed for my enemy. All the times I've prayed for Laura and for her babies. And just all the times I've run out here and said, Lord, you you saw what she said to me today. And you know that hurt my feelings, God, but I give it to you and I trust you. And Lord, please guide and direct me. Do you want me to continue to stand still? Are you sure you want me to wait? I mean, just learning how to walk with God. It's been incredible. It's been incredible. I'm trying to think about what it was like before I had this relationship with God like this. And it's so long ago that it's hard to remember, but just I get little glimpses here and there. And it just makes me just go, wow, wow. It is so beautiful out here today. Such a gorgeous Easter Sunday. So thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ enduring that cross. For the joy set before him, us. Oh, man. I am filled with faith, strong faith. There's been many times I've been close to doubting, but I am filled with as strong a faith right now as I have ever been for the promises that God has made to me. And then just delivering me and providing finances for me. He has not told me what my future looks like. He has not said, you know, if you will obey me, I will give you this ministry and you'll do this. And this, he's not told me that at all. In fact, the thing that he's telling me right now, which I'm getting ready to end this recording on, the thing that he has been t- speaking to me about over and over and over for the last couple of months. And it's amazing because if I start doing it, he stops speaking. When I stop doing it, he starts speaking about it. He constantly reminds me to finish the work which I began, Second Chronicles, 2 Corinthians 8.11, so that my willingness to do it may be matched by my completion of it according to my means. He just, 701, over and 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 over. Keep my commands, son, store my commands in your heart. And he just keeps telling me that over and over. So I am... Um, working hard on trying to memorize them. I've been so distracted. So I'm going to stop doing that now. I know God has a good reason for this. He's not told me why, other than the fact that it will make it very, very much more easy for me to do messages when I can constantly just have all of teachings of Christ in my head and the Holy Spirit can just bring them to mind and I don't have to go looking them up. It would make me a much more effective communicator for God. And so I'm really looking forward to that, even though the work has been so difficult. It's been so hard. It takes a lot of brain power to do that, that I don't have. I'm just not that smart in that stuff. 